Hello, this is Kobe Manzo from Division One Rejects coming to you on WUPX 91.5 FM HD1 Marquette. Yes, we're on the radio for the first time. It's awesome. Previously been on YouTube as you're probably watching now on YouTube. Hello, but you can also find us on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts now even. We're on pretty much any platform that you're going to find your radio or other type of podcast. But today we've got a jam-packed episode. I'm excited. We got a lot of great content. This last week of football has been a great one, I think. And we've seen, especially navigating through this COVID pandemic and how we've handled this and how the football community has handled this, there's been a lot of content to come out of that. So I think what I'm most excited about really is we got a coach actually from Northwood University who's going to come on here in just a few minutes and talk to us about how they've navigated this pandemic and how you know they're continuing to practice right now. Although we're shut down, we're in the same league, they have the opportunity to go out there and get better. Uh, after we talk to Coach Robinson, we'll get to him in just a minute. We'll go over Clemson's loss to Notre Dame, number one versus number four, Clemson Falls. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence out of that game was a huge part of that. Uh, the Saints rolling through Tom Brady and Tampa Bay. We were just talking about that before we got started. That game was one of the more one-sided NFL games that we've seen on primetime television this season. After that, we'll finally get into some college football and NFL power rankings, who are the top dogs from this week, and highlight some of the matchups coming this weekend. Like I said, find us on YouTube, Spotify, or pretty much any other uh, platform that you're going to listen to podcasts. Division One Rejects, let's get right into that interview. All right, joining us today on Division One Rejects, we have former defensive back and graduate assistant at Wayne State University. Now he's leading the secondary at Northwood. Coach Antoine Robinson. Coach, what's going on? Uh, nothing much, man. Nothing much, man. Thanks for having me on. Of course. I'm glad we could uh, get you on here. I had a few guys at Northwood tell me that you'd be the guy to get on here. Why did they say that? You know what? I'm a, uh, I'm a player's coach. You're a player's coach. I invest coach. in my players a lot. I, I invest that. in my players a lot. I love that. And I've, you know, I've, I've got a bunch of buddies there, but most notably like uh, Drew Carp and uh, Jake Kelpert, and they've they've been raving about that freshman class that you guys have down there in Midland. I know you probably haven't had as much time as you'd like to be around them and the team, but what have you seen so far into workouts and practice from this freshman class you guys have? Well, the attitude that they bring, the work ethic every day, day in, day out. And these kids, they know football. So high football IQ kids is uh, that 2020 class. Uh, they want to change this program for us. That's good to hear. I, I really like that. And, you know, players, coach, being around them a lot, and to have that, that attitude and that mindset obviously is uh, super important. But we'll get into you a little bit more specifically. You've been around the GLIAC uh, football scene a long time, coming out of Southfield High School, and you've been exposed to these local teams in, well, really predominantly the Michigan area. Has GLIAC always been on your radar, especially coming out of high school? Was that somewhere that you saw yourself ending up? Uh, originally, I didn't think, you know, I didn't think I was going to end up playing Division Two. I thought I was going to end up, you know, Division One. Gotcha. Or, you know, HBCU at the least. But then, uh, actually, Division Two, it, w- it was great for me. You know, the GLIAC, it came down to most of my offers were GLIAC offers. Uh, after visiting different schools, it was always about finding the best fit for me. Uh, I ended up at Wayne State because I simply felt like, you know, that was the best fit for me personally. Although all the other schools around the state, you know, literally all the other schools around the whole state, all the way from downtown Detroit, all the way to Hart in Michigan, they're all beautiful and they're all competitors. Yeah, for sure. And I, you know, obviously played at the GLIAC level, but from what I've seen and from what it sounds like, people I've talked to, you played pretty well. What made you want to turn around right after graduating and become 
a grad assistant there at Wayne. Was that the plan from the beginning heading into college or what was your kind of route to becoming, getting into this coaching field? Uh, coaching was not on my, it was not one of my plans at all. Originally I wanted to go to school to study physical therapy because in high school I suffered it. I, in high school I suffered an injury and I felt like I could have been doing more to rehab myself. And I'm like, maybe these trainers don't know what they're doing. So okay. I wanted to do physical, so I wanted to do physical therapy but um, the more I started playing and learning football, I was more of a, a, a coach on the field. You know, I knew all the checks and I knew all the plays and I could help everybody get lined up. And then after after I got done playing, I maintained good relationships with my coaching staff. And, you know, hey, what better way than getting a master's and getting a pay for free and coaching football? I love it. I love it. Now, is that like – I would assume from a physical therapy background, kind of in that active – um, industry in that area was that some type of easy transition into that from you know obviously from into that into coaching uh yeah you're, you're dealing with people but so one big thing that i love about it is that because i kind of took a lot of science class and learned about, a lot about the body and stuff i see uh when my players come to me and they say hey coach this hurts that hurts i'm kind of like okay well this is what the trainer is going to tell you but always go follow up with the trainers never just your coach yeah i was telling you know hey Maybe it might be this, it might be that. So it kind of connects. It kind of connects. Connect. So when my kids say, Coach, this is hurting me, my arm is hurting me, oh, no, this is just take that up. You'll be all right. Yeah, that, I, I didn't even think about that. would actually be, like, super useful from a coaching perspective to be able to, I don't know, you're not going to go out there and diagnose kids right in the middle of the field just because that's not, you know, like you said, your duty, always follow up with the trainer. But that'd be super useful. We got my buddy Zach who does the podcast with me who was – um, prior to this semester going into pre-med has actually decided he's going to go into some type of um, management and coaching. So I, I don't know how that – that's got to be a little bit of a different transition over from physical therapy. But, um, I mean, it sounds like you're enjoying it. What have your uh, first impressions, at least, uh, of Northwood been? <laughs> My first impression of Northwood is it's peaceful. It's peaceful. It's something complete. It's peaceful. It's peaceful. <laughs> it's kind of almost like uh, it's kind of almost like going up the market. You know, it's, it's yeah. peaceful. Okay, okay. I kind of like that. I kind of like that. It's uh, I've been to Midland a few times. I, I didn't get to uh, be on campus too much uh, in the last couple years. But um, what does it look like right now in that defensive back room for you guys? I know you've got uh, a few seniors in that room, and are they sticking around for this season, or have you seen uh, anybody kind of deal with potentially opting out? Uh, so that's interesting. Uh, actually, I don't have any seniors left now. You don't? Okay. It's not. So it, it didn't come about opting out. It's more so that our students, they, they take internships, which yeah. leads to jobs for them. So my seniors, you know, they're, they're all graduate. Last year I had four grads in my defensive backfield. Okay. Uh, this year I, I would have had three, but they all graduated. And, you know, hey, go off and get a wow. job. That's how you go to college. I was going to say, because I was looking at the roster and I saw, you know, you had a, a decent amount, like you said, those three seniors. So, I mean, that's awesome. I know you've got some, at Northwood, you've got some accelerated uh, MBA or like master's programs there. Is that something that they were into or not so much? Uh, no, not necessarily. You graduated four years at Northwood because from day one, you're working on your master, your program. That's there awesome. are no GPA booster classes. It's, it's straight uh, curriculum just for your, your degree. 
That's awesome. As I'm sure you've probably heard, the GLIAC came out and released a statement on Wednesday that, quote, GLIAC members have been given autonomy to schedule football scrimmages or up to five competitions in the spring. So the original plan was to have that eight-game conference-only season in the spring due to the fact that we didn't get anything in the fall. So what did you what did you take away from this? What were your reaction to that? Uh, you know what? Let's play ball. Let's play ball. It's a lot of up-and-coming programs in the state of Michigan uh, I will I will be anxious to to see what if we can get some games scheduled with them or scrimmages set up with them. Uh, you know, programs such as Siena Heights, Lawrence Tech, uh, Madonna's a new program. Yep. You know, I love to get some of those guys and uh, you know, see how we stack up against them. Yeah, now you mentioned a lot of teams on that NAIA scene, and that's been something that NAIA actually has been around for a long time, which I actually didn't know that until I started getting recruited by a few of them. Um, but what has what does that have impact wise on NCAA like the Division two level especially? Do you see kids possibly leaving um, or like not going to a Division two or GLIAC school? And do you see them picking off some of those recruits from GLIAC schools at a time? Oh uh, yeah, actually yeah they do. You know especially here in Michigan because we're kind of like the melting pot between NAIA schools, Division two schools, and the MAC. Yeah. So you know we all go after the same kids. And I, I see the NAI because they have the money. You know, if, if, you know, right now it, it's all about, you know, who has the money, who has the majors that I want. Yeah. Also, also these schools, they, they have great coaches. You know, yeah. it's all about, hey, you may connect with the, the coaching staff a bit better at one school. Yeah, I get that. I get that a lot. Did you, uh, was the NAI scene, NAIA scene, excuse me, as prominent when you were coming out of high school or no? Uh, no, so I came out of high school 10 years ago, more yeah. so uh, coming out, especially coming out of Michigan, the top school that people were going to, if you weren't going to Division One or two, a lot of people was going to Grand Rapids Community College, so okay. GRCC, yeah. that was, and then they ended up getting that closed down in uh, 2012, I believe, it got closed down, but that was probably where people was going most of the time. So now being on the opposite side of that, um, coming from playing and then turning right around and being the grad assistant now over at Northwood. What do you look for in kids coming out of high school? You talked about how a lot of the MAC, D2, and those NAIA schools really will pick out of the same pool of kids. What do you look for in recruits that's really going to separate them and put them high on your list? Uh, athleticism and academics. Okay. You know, if you're, if you're coachable, you know, right now a big thing is coaches are going directly to the kid. So, hey, we're going right to Twitter. We're talking directly to the kid. Uh, I like to talk to the coaches and the families. You know, at the end of the day, this, you're you're going to become that 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 player's support system when they come to your school. So I like to really build a network with the families, as far as you know, both the parents or the siblings and the coaches that they had. You know, I even talked to the principal. Hey, you know, give me a rundown on this kid, just you know, character wise. But that's that's big for me. Yeah, I love that. I've even heard of some coaches who will uh, come into a school and then ask, like, the lady at the front desk or, like, the janitor that they see walking through the hallway. Um, maybe just, like, throw the name out there, and if there's a positive response, like, that really says something about the kid. But how important – talk about how important it is to, I guess, after you start that relationship with the recruit who you hopefully land on campus at wherever school you're at, how important is it to maintain that relationship? And I think sometimes that gets lost is – the hype around getting recruited, and then you get to campus, and I feel like some kids have a negative experience with that after they're actually on campus. How important is it to maintain those relationships with your guys? Oh, you have you have to, you know, because you can't you can't make yourself out to be a liar. If you tell a kid you will be one way, you have to stay that way. Because oh, yeah. the big thing is 
you have to recruit every year. You have to recruit your players back, especially with the transfer portal being a thing. Hey, if, if your kid doesn't like the situation that he in, he can always say, all right, well, I'm going to enter the transfer portal. But, you know, we don't, we don't get that a lot because we maintain those good relationships with our kids. If we tell you something to recruit in, we hold true to that. I love that. that. That's a pretty good saying, actually. I really like that. You got to recruit your kids back every single year. I think that's a great that's a great mindset. I don't th- think I've ever heard that before, but I think you're coming from the right direction as far as that mindset is. And we've had um, a good amount of transfers up here at Northern, and I'm sure we're not the only school that's been directly affected by that. But getting back to you, I want to know who did you look at when you were coming up playing in high school and college? Who were the guys in the league? Um, probably more at the DB at that position. Who did you look at when you were growing up that you kind of idolized or you loved watching play? Oh, man. Antoine Bethea, is he, he's low-key my favorite safety of all time. Okay. Uh, he, back when he played with the coach, Kevin Bob Sanders. Oh, man, I love those two. That's awesome. Uh, Ryan Dawkins was always, yes, yes. always fun to watch. Just because with him, you get two different people. You know, you'll watch how professional he is in the interview. And then on Sundays, you're watching the game, and he's running around like a crazy man. Uh, Ed Reed Reed is always at the top of the list just because he he changed the game. He changed the defensive back position. Agreed. So, yeah, Brian Dawkins, Ed Reed, uh, Bob Sanders, Antoine Bethea. And, you know, you got to always throw in, you know, a hard hitter like John Lynch. You know, you got to always okay. show a lot of John Lynch. That's a, st- that's a stacked list. I-, I can agree with that. I concur with that. I like that. You ever uh, you ever turn on some of your old film to show your guys how it's done or what? Oh, uh, no. No, no. No. <laughs> no. I want to. I want to. So what I try to do is, what I actually try to do is every day for practice, I go out, I wear my cleats for practice. Yes. Because if you need me to show you something, I'll show you because – Examples are always clear. I can show you exactly how I want you to do it. I can tell you, but you may not understand. But I can put on my cleats, and I can show you exactly how it is. I love that. McDougal does that, too. McDougal's got his sweatpants and his cleats <laughs> on every day, man. His sweatpants will be but, over the bottom of his cleats. I'll be messing with him. I don't know how he even gets around in those, but he's the same mindset. Yeah. I love that, man. McDougal is uh, McDougal is the jack of all trades. I don't know if he's the linebacker coach or the receiver coach, wide receiver, or the wide video receivers. guy. Yeah, so yeah, he does I know he has thing. a. <laughs> he's the jack of all trades out there. That's awesome, man. Well, yeah, I appreciate you coming on. We had a little quick conversation there, and uh, hopefully, I'll be talking to you soon in the future. All right, man. Yeah, no problem. You got my number. Uh, I'm always free. All right, appreciate you. Have a good one. All right, you too. All right, it was great to talk to uh, Coach Robinson. I mean, that dude was a player at the D2 level, and then to be a grad assistant and now be coaching again in the same league that he played in, that's got to be super um, important to him to be around that, you know, these classes that are going through and trying to navigate this. I know he's got a super positive outlook, really, on all of it. And uh, it was good to hear what he had to say. But let's get into some of the college football that was happening over the weekend, and most notably Clemson, number one team in the nation, no more. Notre Dame knocks them off at home Top team in the country, South Bend, after two overtimes and takes advantage of Trevor Lawrence obviously being out. And I think what also won't be talked about as much is that Clemson was missing some key defensive players too. And while obviously the gap of, you know, that that loss of Lawrence not being there, I think that wasn't as big of an impact, honestly, in this game as losing those defensive players because uh, Clemson quarterback, the one who filled in, DJ Uyangalele, 
I believe I pronounced that correctly this time. Yeah, I put out phonetically for here for for me to say that right there. <laughs> I, I wanted to get it right. I'm glad I did. But anyways, steps in for Lawrence, throws the ball 44 times for over 400 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah. Obviously, Trevor Lawrence, like phenomenal player, was mm-hmm. front runner for Heisman, probably still will be when he comes back because oh, he's that sure. good. But that absence, I don't think has hurt them as much as people have ex- expected because how do you have this guy sitting in your like your back pocket, basically? Dabo yeah. Sweeney came out on Monday, and he said that the reality is he's not healthy. We had to protect him the whole night, and that was alluding to the fact that he was still battling like a shoulder injury from earlier in the season. Yeah. But like, how fortunate are you, for if you're Clemson, to have this guy sitting in your back pocket and just be able to use him whenever? I mean, it was huge for them in this situation especially, but uh, like you said, um, it was kind of kind of dictated on how he played, and um, that's what I said last week. But it really seemed to tell that it was more of the defensive side. Notre yeah. Dame put up a ton of points. Clemson honestly did not have that big of an issue putting up points. They no. put up a ton of points um, on Notre Dame's defense, who is a top tier defense in oh, yeah. you know the FBS conference. And he, I think DJ played his guts out. He played really hard. Um, the second week in a row that yeah, he's exactly. put up numbers just like that. And I, I'm going to be honest. I mean, you could sit here and say that Lawrence would have put up, you know, better numbers, and maybe he would have. But honestly, I think it was more telling that it was the defensive side that needed a little more help than on the offense. Yeah, I I 100% agree with that. I mean, double overtime, like obviously one of the more competitive games we've seen, especially with two top to five rated teams in the country. Exactly. But Clemson defense, not only did they struggle at certain points in the game, they struggled when they needed to stop. That that last second drive at the end of overtime, or not overtime, excuse me, end of regulation, when Notre Dame is driving down the field, all you need potentially is one big play to stop that Tiger offense, and they could not get it. They really could not get it. And that for me or not the Tiger offense, excuse me, the Fighting Irish, um, but they couldn't get that play. They, they did not make that play all night. And the, another thing that I we talked about it last week was Travis Etienne, and he had a very minimal impact. I thought yeah. he was going to be a deciding factor in this game, and I think, um, although I underestimated DJ and what he did at quarterback, yeah. Etienne was, I think, the difference. Yeah. He definitely was the difference. Uh, only 28 yards on 18 carries. So not even two yards per carry for a guy who was in the Heisman candidate conversation yeah. just last week. We've seen what he's capable of, but Notre Dame shuts him down. And that one-dimensional Clemson offense, we already said they threw the ball over 40 times, which yeah, exactly. for a college program is unbelievable. That that's I think that's also part of the reason why his stats are so boosted like they are, just because of the opportunity, the amounts of throws. But you still got to give credit to DJ because if you throw the ball 44 times and you're not turning it over once, yeah, that's that's more opportunities for error, if anything. Exactly. So, I, that was big for him. Um, it shows basically what he can do in the future as well. He's made an establishment of you know his play style, what he's able to do. Um, you know, Clemson's going to be in good hands next year, whether or not you know Trevor oh, yeah. Lawrence stays, because I know that that's also the <laughs> to, talk to leave the, to uh, make sure he doesn't go to the Jets. Yeah, exactly. And um, you know, I I don't know what his call is going to be because it would be a tough one. Uh, but I do know that ETN, like you said, just not as weak. Um, no, it was not. And he was one of those guys that was consistently putting out big numbers through last year, uh, one of those top Heisman contenders. And, you know, when Lawrence was healthy, I think they were both the top two Yeah. Um, for, like, you know, 
the image of what the Heisman would probably yeah. look like. Them, and then you had uh, you know Mac Jones Mac from Alabama. Jones, you had the kid from BYU, uh, Zach Wilson. Zach Wilson Zach is Wilson. it? Yep. Yeah. So he's been playing out of his mind. Yeah. And like you said, it just wasn't his week. And usually I'd be like, all right, like you're gonna have an off week. Everyone's got yeah, an exactly. off week. First of all, if you're a Heisman candidate, you can't. You really can't. So he's for oh, me yeah. probably out of that conversation. Unfortunately, that is for him because I think he's a fantastic player. And, and especially very, because. Sadly, he's a running back. That's and exactly what it is. If, especially if you're a running back, if you have a yeah. quote-unquote down week and you're in that Heisman conversation, you can't. Because when you can't. look at like like when Derrick Henry and Mark Ingram, both of them running backs and yep. winning the Heisman, uh, Derrick Henry was never stopped throughout the no. entire season. Same they still with, are trying to figure out how yeah, to. exactly. Even in the NFL. Exactly. So, um, you know, to win a Heisman is literally any other position besides a quarterback is an extremely – Difficult feat because you have to be always at the top of the game, week in and at week all out, times, and you have to prove it. And usually, you have to do something, maybe whether that's college, like the playoffs or whatever it is. You need to be showing out every single week. Um, so I do think it's a little bit of a disadvantage for you know running backs or literally any other position. I want to talk about the real victor on the night, and that was not Notre Dame. That was COVID. COVID sure. was the winner after that game. The fans stormed the field in South Bend. I mean, what do you, can you blame them? Like, that was, a, that oh, was no, such no, that a was, great game. Yeah. And, like, just the emotion and, like, college kids who really exactly. couldn't give a crap about COVID, you know, that's probably just going to go through their system and yeah. whatever. Like, they're just thinking in the moment. I totally get it. Like, if I were there, I, I'm not going to be the one guy left in the stands, most likely. I'm not going to try and say, act like I would be. But, yeah. Um, I can only imagine, you know, what was going through their minds when that happens. And, like, afterwards, I know head coach um, from Notre Dame was talking about when we win this game, which he was saying this before, just being optimistic, like saying, yeah. when we win this game, like, they're going to storm the field. We got to get off the field. Like, do you think there's no way those Notre Dame players were sitting there, out, like, the biggest win, coming off the biggest win of the last couple of years, at yeah. least for their program, and sitting there thinking, like, oh, I better get off the field. You know, I don't want to get sick. Oh, no, they're going to bask in it. Are you kidding me? They're going to think it's the greatest thing of there's all time. There's no way. I would, I would love to give them credit and say that in the back of their mind, they're thinking about, you know, for the their next safety in this yeah, next week. Especially but. with these with these Big Ten regulations where we saw the quarterback from Wisconsin go down and now – He's out for 21 days. Like, he'll actually be coming back probably this next week. Yeah. Um, but we'll talk about that later. But if you get sick and you're out for three weeks, that's something that your team could t potentially not recover from if you're yeah, a mainstay exactly. guy and you're a big-time performer. So, although I'd like to say that subconsciously they were maybe thinking about that, I, I really doubt it. So, it'll be interesting to see. I think the Halloween parties are starting to catch up to these college football programs, and we'll talk about that Literally in a minute, any too. any college campus, to be honest. Exactly. Exactly. And it's it's so difficult because a lot of these universities just cannot control that large amount of kids. It's it's, it's very difficult, almost impossible. College kids wants to be college kids and that's yeah. it's it's gonna be so it's gonna be I, I think impossible. You you can't contain that when you know We're we're gonna get locked down again. It's it's you think like yeah, at home, stay at home yep. order. I think we're gonna get locked down again and uh but don't worry, I think it's a good thing for Michigan State because they deserve to be locked down. They don't deserve to be playing football after uh, last week's performance. That's a good little segue into our next piece here. But Michigan State with a 49-7 to loss against Iowa. Our offense was absolutely non-existent. And I think this is kind of what we expected. We were talking, especially post-Michigan game, that huge win. Um, just not to get our hopes up too high because this, this Michigan State team has a lot of room to grow. Even after that game yeah. where they kind of clicked on all cylinders – 
I don't think it was really the expectation for them to come out and yeah, do that yeah. and just be lights out the rest of the season, right? Yeah. I don't I mean, I, don't I, so. I, mean, I definitely last week I even said that it's, it's going to be like a growing pain yep, here. Exactly. And, uh, you know, because it's that wiping out an entire coaching staff, reinstalling a totally different new one uh, in, what, February? Yep. Not having that much time, you know, to prepare for, you know, a Big Ten rigor of these games. Yeah, the schedule that you play, especially. Exactly. So, being uh, in the East. I don't really know, you know, what happened last game, to be completely honest with you. I think they looked really well. They looked really good against um, uh, Michigan. But yeah. I did – was not – I'm – I'm not going to say I wasn't predicting a loss because, I mean, I wasn't surprised. But I was surprised by the fact that they got blown out. Yes, I agree. I agree really with that statement. And honestly, it should have been a shutout. It really should have been a shutout. They scored Judging late there. Judging by the there. way that they scored, I really do think it probably should have been 49 it, They definitely deserve to – or they excuse me, they <clears throat> did not deserve to score in that game. Especially Rocky Lombardi, three interceptions on the day. That was a huge reason for their lopsided yeah. loss and the way that score was. He had five carries for minus 21 yards. Yes. Oh, my goodness. Like, you could snap the ball five times and take a knee each time, and you'd be doing better off than that. You lose, what, a yard on those? Well, if he's in shotgun. Depends. Yeah, that's true. But you're not going to take a knee out of shotgun, typically. But that was a huge well, reason for that. His look. Him turning over the ball, which, hey, that happened week one, too. And we saw how that went against Rutgers, who has proven they're actually, you know, a solid team this year. Like, Rutgers is back, and they're not – um, they're not going to go and win the Big Ten East by any means. Yeah. But they're not. They're also not going to go winless throughout that season, um, that conference season. Iowa, on the other hand, looked absolutely. I mean, and they looked like world beaters because they're playing the Spartans, who kept turning the ball over. But they dominated the ground game, 226 yards rushing, and it seems like the Spartans cannot find that identity that that they've relied on these past however many years throughout yeah. the D'Antonio era. And right now, we talked about how Tucker was probably going to try and continue that. Right, because it's a good, it's a good style. It's a good brand of football yeah. to be more physical than the guys across you. That's what you want from your team. And Michigan State has lived and died by that a lot of times because yeah. there have been instances in the past couple of years where you want them to go two minute, air it out, air raid down the field. We need a quick series, but that's just not that hasn't been Michigan State. So there's been times that's kind of bit them in the butt. But I think overall that identity is what it's what's gotten them a lot of statement wins, like that game against Michigan where they didn't give up on that run game, even though it wasn't you know, very successful. I think that identity is just slipping away from them and it's not good. Yeah. Well, I, I, you definitely see like the lap side and I think, um, I, I don't really know how to explain it. They're, they're going to have growing pains. You yeah. just know that, um, I would love to see them, you know, regain that, um, identity of that physicality that they once had, um, you know, back in their, you know, big 10 championships runs, seriously playoff runs. Um, you know, they were just a really tough team to beat coming from anybody. So, uh, you know, I think that they can go back to that. Um, judging on, like, the time period of when that will be uh, is kind of tough to tell right now. Um, I'd love to see them next season, you know, just keep growing. Building, yeah. Just building upon what just they have. Just show progress, yeah, really. Exactly. I think that's what all anybody wants from a program, especially that – is going through and reinventing themselves right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, or even in the past that has done that, all you want to see is progress. And it doesn't matter. Yeah. I think for me especially, it doesn't matter how much progress you show initially. As long as you show that you're building and you're making the right moves, yeah, taking exactly. the right steps, I think that's the most important thing. Uh, another thing I didn't have written down here to talk about, but um, Coach Perlis, the ex-head coach of the Spartans, who has since passed away, rest in peace, Coach Perlis, they're doing 
a tribute to him with the mm. it's kind of a small more subtle thing but i think it's really neat that they're doing this it's the block yeah, s on the helmets and i think that is awesome and the reason another reason that i talk about that is his son um coach perlis well just coach perlis to me you know perlis's first name what our perlis uh pat Pat Perlis, who is the offensive coordinator now at Northern Michigan, that was his father who was coaching at Michigan State. So I'm sure uh, that'll mean a lot to him. And he's been in uh, social media and some other news publications throughout the last couple of days. So I know that was really uh, important, and that had a little bit of a draw in back to Northern Michigan. So I wanted to make sure um, I mentioned that because it was super important. But yeah. four mainstays in the college football national playoff picture, these are four teams that have had no problem maintaining their identity throughout the last couple of years Obviously, Alabama is the number one team right now in the country uh, mm-hmm. with, with Clemson losing that game, followed by Notre Dame, Ohio State, and then Clemson still staying up there. Yeah, exactly. I think that's totally deserved, especially oh, in a sure. double overtime loss where um, one of your star players, ETN, has that lackluster of a game. Yeah. Um, but I think I don't really see much changing from this top four playoff picture. And it's kind of funny because you probably could have sat down at the, at the beginning of the season before any of this happened and had a good shot at picking these four teams. Maybe not yeah. in this order, but picking these four teams to beat the final four. I want to say this was the same playoff race as 2018. I believe you're right. Um, I think you are. And so, you know, these these have just been the top teams, it seems like, through, um, you know, as far as we've been watching college football, um, it seems like all of these teams have just been staying. Yeah. Bama, obviously, um, you know, last year didn't make it into the playoffs, but um, – they, it seems like they're always there. Um, Notre Dame, always a top contender. I mean, yeah. actually not always, but um, Ohio State and Clemson. Especially being their first programs. year in, you know, as an honorary member of the ACC and yeah. then really showing out in the ACC. So there's actually a chance that Clemson does not come out on top now of the ACC. It doesn't look like they will because of that loss. So. so I think that's very interesting because Clemson has – there are some there are some solid teams in the ACC. I'm not going to act like um, there are no – you know, there's not a bunch of slouches, but um, – in, in the past, historically, Clemson has dominated that conference. So yeah. it's awesome to see that they actually have some competition and they're being pushed, obviously, with that loss. Um, but the middle and the bottom parts of the rankings include some teams that we have not seen there up in a while. For sure. And Cincinnati, yeah, Cincinnati is one that I really have been following. They're at number seven right now. And they're followed by BYU. Mm-hmm. Right, BYU is number eight. They're eight zero on the season, and obviously a huge part of that is Zach Wilson, that quarterback who's playing at a Heisman level right now. Yeah, I don't remember ever having a, you know, a BYU player in the Heisman conversation in, in my lifetime, at least. I, I don't remember one. Exactly. They they've been a they've had a solid program. I think the last couple of years, pretty quietly, had a solid program. Yeah. Um, but I just do not remember that. Uh, Cincinnati. I've had a chance to visit visit Cincinnati a few times in the past, and they. Um, they have all of the uh, the facilities and everything that you think of a huge, like a big time program. Yeah. Now they're in the uh, American American Athletic Conference, I believe. Yeah, and um, AAC or something like that. Yep, yep. And um, so they have all of the the right pieces. I think it's just been a matter of them getting all the right talent there. Yeah, and um, you know the right coaching staff and everything in place. And this has been a culmination of the last couple of years because Cincinnati's had some big time games. They've had some big time wins over ranked opponents in the yeah. last couple of years. But I think just now they're putting it all together. So for them being at number seven, that is huge. Uh, another team we want to talk about: Coastal Carolina, solid number fifteen in the rankings after riding a seven game winning streak. They got that turquoise turf down there in the mm-hmm. Carolinas. So uh, they're in. They're in, well, let's say they're in South Carolina, correct? 
Uh, I believe so. I actually have not done too much research on. I've I've been following them the last couple games, and uh, I will say they do not play the most difficult schedule, and that's part of the reason why they're at number fifteen. Even yeah. you know being undefeated this far into the season, about half their team or maybe their full team's rocking bullets right now. So. Nice. That is absolutely awesome. You love to see it. And I, I don't know. The mullet is represented in the top 25. Um, but the Big Ten right now is really not represented as much as it usually is. Obviously, Ohio State yeah. up at the top uh, as they typically are. But Wisconsin's still up there. We have Indiana and Northwestern actually makes an appearance. I believe they are at like 24 or 25. So they're at the bottom. Yeah. But a season for Northwestern so far that has been awesome. Uh, Michigan's gone. Out of the top 25 yeah. for the first time in a while, it feels like, after yeah. that loss last week to Indiana. And they have Wisconsin this week. The Badgers, I think, are going to smack them. Uh, I, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. It's going to be tough to call, but uh, especially if Mertz is back, um, yep. I think it's going to be not a hand. Yeah, so Mertz was perfect in that first game of his, yeah. and he's redshirt freshman, correct? Redshirt freshman. So Graham Mertz comes in and is almost perfect. Now, we'll have to see. 21 days out of football is a long time. Oh, yeah. Three weeks away from the game. And Wisconsin, not only Graham Mertz, but Wisconsin has been away from the game as a program for two weeks, additionally. They missed games against Purdue and Nebraska, if I'm correct. Yeah. I believe. So that is going to be interesting to see because a team like that who's been ranked so highly, who looked really promising early in the season, um, I'm not sure how they're going to fare, but I really think Michigan is just going to draw the short straw on that one. I don't think there's any way they come out of that with a win. For those of you just joining us live, this is Kobe Manzo joined by Zach Keen today. I realized I didn't introduce you at the beginning. I probably should have done that, but I guess you just... It's all right. Yeah, you suppose... I've been here long enough. Yeah, they see your face. They they know your voice, I would hope by now. But uh, thank you for joining us now on WUPX 91.5 FM HD1 Marquette. We are talking some college football, but we're going to transition actually into the NFL now. And a guy that I have been watching play some electric football the last two weeks. Unfortunately, at one last week, it was at the hands of my Detroit Lions. But Dalvin Cook has been playing oh, out yes. of his freaking mind. Rushed yeah. for over 200 yards in back-to-back weeks. And like I said, it was against the Lions in that 34-20 to win for the Vikings. But... It looked super easy on that 70-yard touchdown run that he had against the Lions. And I was yeah. I'm sitting there thinking about it, and I never really put two and you know five together or whatever the heck. But mm. after the game, they came out and Twitter was exploding because they had 10 guys in the field. The Lions did. Yeah. And if it was a one-time thing, it's a fluke, whatever, I'm sure it had something to do with that touchdown. This is the third time in two weeks that has happened. From a defensive-minded head coach and Matt Patricia, who now Detroit is just demanding he's gone, that he is no longer employed by the yeah. Detroit organization. But... I mean, that's ridiculous. That is so ridiculous. Ten guys on the field. You've got ten guys on the field against a, a running back who you know already last week put up insane numbers against Green Bay. That was the reason they lost. Yeah. That was exactly the reason they lost. I mean, the rest of the Vikings have been putting together, um, especially their offense, has been looking pretty solid. They've had they've had a solid offense. Yeah. But it all, it all is centered around Dalvin Cook. You oh, know for sure. that's the thing for me. Like, Green Bay... I don't think Green Bay really had – they had an idea of obviously he's a great, talented back and he, he can do he a lot was, of things. He, that was his first week back. Exactly. So they but they had no really, idea. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, so they they know that his talent is there, but they had no idea what they are getting themselves into. Detroit does not have the luxury of having that same excuse. Nope. You just watched him tear up one of the best teams in the league yeah. last week, and then you're going to not prioritize, you know, making him, you know, stay behind the line of scrimmage, really. Yeah, exactly. I just think that's a lack of coaching. 
I really do. And obviously, the, the, the 10 players in the field, there's a lack of coaching. You can't even um, argue that. But Matthew Stafford, that was, first of all, not a great showing for him. But second of all, he leaves the game with that potential concussion. And we were talking about it. He looked out of it even before that. I didn't really get to watch mon- uh, much of it. I did turn it on just to kind of watch Dalvin Cook uh, just be <laughs> the electric player that he really is. Um, you know, he just stomped over the Lions. Um, and it was just kind of funny to see because I I really think that he's going to be doing this pretty consistently for the rest of, um, you know, the time that I he hope has so. for Shoot. these last couple regular season games. I really hope so. Like, I mean, even though he was playing against my team, like that type of football is so is so awesome to watch. Oh, yeah. I love watching that kind of football and the brand that he, football that he plays because he's so explosive and he's shifty. But then he can run between the tackles, and then when he gets in the open field, you saw in those long runs, he has separation speed, and he finds yeah, that he next does. gear, which for a back to have maybe one or two or maybe even three of those aspects, those positive aspects, you can make it, I think, a long way in the NFL. But when a back has all of those, like Dalvin Cook has, I think that is this, this the structure of success, and we've seen that yeah, the last two weeks. it just sets him apart. It really does. It like, literally sets him apart because he's yeah. outracing all these dudes in the end zone. Yeah, They're exactly. giving up on those plays. And I thought this week was going to be great for the Lions because they got uh, Trufant back. They had another starting defensive back back yeah. on the field playing. Um, but they were still riddled with injuries. They had a ton of injuries. Kenny Galladay was the most notable one. Yeah. He was gone, their leading wide receiver. Uh, Jamal Agnew, return specialist. He got some snaps in at like a slot receiver um, type role in the yeah, in last did. week's game. But he's out. Tracy Walker was out. And Vitae, who I believe is uh, either left or right tackle um, for them. That was a loss in the offensive line. That obviously did not help. Talked about Matt Stafford leaving the game with a potential concussion, but he had those two interceptions, one of which was in the end zone. I don't know if you saw that, but he threw an interception in the end zone at a time late in the game where that's all that we really needed that. At that point, the game was over for me. It was probably over before then, if I'm being perfectly honest. Um, but as a Lions fan, holding on to hope like no other, yeah. I thought that was kind of the last straw for the Lions, right? Mm. So I kind of went on that. I guess you called it a rant a few weeks ago how this stretch of the next six or seven weeks for the Lions was that had to be it, right? Remember yeah. we talked about that? Uh, their opponents, their strength of their schedule for the next six weeks. If they wanted to make a run, if they wanted to make a run and win a playoff game, I wasn't asking for a Super Bowl. Yeah. I wasn't asking for uh, you know, to for us to beat the some of the best teams in the league, right? At the time, the Vikings were not the Vikings that we've seen right now. They were like they one just and didn't four. Have yeah. Exactly. That's true. But still, I just the Lions season right now, for me, it's over. I just don't think... I don't think only for you, I'm pretty sure, for the rest of anybody that's yeah. ever watched football ever. And Matt Patricia should be gone now, so they have time to kind of go in a new direction. From, I agree. Uh, in, as in new direction, I mean away, whatever the heck is away from <laughs> Matt Patricia. That's yeah. all I want at this point. And I think... I'm, I, I shouldn't say I think I know I'm not the only one calling for it. There's a lot of people that are calling for it. And this is an ownership issue more than, obviously... I, I think it, so. really I think it just originates at that ownership. Everything position. stems from that. And they just have not been making the, you know, the moves that they have, have to. Like they're it, so it complacent and they're so complacent. I think a good word, but comfortable, I think is another word and comfortable with being bad. They are comfortable with being consistently just bad, straight up mediocre. And you and don't see that in a lot, at least in good ownership. You do not see that yeah. in good ownership. It, you're just, you're so comfortable with being just average. 
Yeah, right. Exactly. And when they got rid of Caldwell, we've talked about this multiple weeks, but when they got rid of Caldwell and said they wanted to make that next step, yeah, that was huge for a Lions fan to hear. Like maybe they're finally getting out of their shell and actually ambitious yeah. about going and winning meaningful football games. But I mean, I've seen. We, I think we saw that from um, Cleveland. I mean, obviously they haven't had like the turnouts that they probably wanted to, especially with but, the talent that they have in that roster. Yeah, exactly. But y- you saw that they were willing to make the moves. They were willing to use the cap space to you know exactly. go out get these players. Um, you know, switch the coaches around. You know, when they when the fans and everybody wasn't behind a coach. They were just they were done with and build around a quarterback. Yeah, exactly. Not to mention so. that they they put a lot of resources um, into Baker Mayfield, and obviously he's a bit younger than uh, Matt Stafford. Yeah, but you know you're telling me that three years ago you couldn't have really started to put something around Matt Stafford and said this could have this could be this is our guy exactly not could be this is our guy and we need to put some weapons around him and make a run for this stupid. It wasn't thing. it wasn't a secret. Everybody no. knew in the entire league that Stafford was a very talented quarterback. He could be you know, one of the greats. And um, I just don't think the Lions were willing to make those moves, you know, to be um, that organization to really build around their guy, to really want to make a push to win those big games, put themselves in the positions, you know, to make a playoff run, maybe a potential Super Bowl. Um, they just haven't been able to do that. And they, like you said, the complacency has been yeah. like their poison for the past just yeah, it has. years, years, and maybe years to come. It's a if, bad combination. It's yeah, just, exactly. They it's need questionable new coaching, massive injury report that they have right now with all these big time guys out that are yeah. you know probably in the last the later years of their contracts. It, it's really the the light has gone out for me yeah, in Detroit, exactly. and I just don't see it. I think it'll be really telling what they do in this upcoming draft if they do end up yeah. picking a quarterback in those first couple rounds. And I think just ownership in general is a very telling, um, you know principle to you know uh, the success of a team yeah and i think honestly i think that green bay given that the um you know the ownership makes a little bit better decisions maybe with some drafts or um you know investing in certain players in certain positions i think we could be in an even better position than we already are i think that you know if we you know picked up a few more defensive players um maybe not go for a first round quarterback Still kind of questioning what that was about. Um I'm talking about Green Bay now. Yeah, that's what I was yeah, talking okay, about. Yeah, okay, okay, okay. Yeah, no. Yeah, yeah I'm talking about Green Bay. Okay. Um, I want to make sure. Yeah. Because we're in our little lion stint there. Yeah, no. I, I was saying, like, just in general, ownership. Oh, I see. I'm saying, that's like, for the transition over. Even I got with, you. Yeah, I got you. Even with my team, Green Bay. I think a, a good analogy, not to cut you off there, I think a good analogy is kind of like, I mean, it's, it's nice to know who the owners of your team are, but, like, you shouldn't hear from the ownership. Like, you shouldn't be hearing things about the ownership of your team. Like you, like they're kind of like a long snapper or like somewhere in a placeholder in a sense, right? Like yeah. if you know the name of your placeholder or your long snapper, something went wrong, right? Something went very wrong, Actually, or there was a trick yeah. play that went very right, right? Because well, I think you're just you're going off of the fact that you're expecting them to do their job. Exactly. I think you're expecting, and they them, should be in like the background. The consistency. They, they should be in the background, and yeah. they should do it week in and week out. And there should be no. There's yeah. no ups or downs. There's no roller coaster of a career for a long snapper. Yeah, exactly. Right. And I, I think. Uh, you know, some punters have gotten their names out there. But, I was, was going to say punter, but then but, again, that's a, that's a bit different. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But long snappers, just anything like that. Like, I mean, uh, U of M's punter back against MSU, nobody knew who he was <laughs> up until that moment. I'm sure he and wishes so, that nobody knew who he exactly, was still. Like you said with the ownership, I do think that that's something that um, should be a given. You're expecting them to, you know, 
do their job. You're expecting them to make the correct moves um, as an organization. And if you really are expecting success out of your team. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. NFC North, man. NFC North. What is going on? NFC North. The ownership of the NFC North. The play in the NFC North. The NFC is is a whole conference. I guess, right? They've been, yeah, I, it's it been very like competitive a, this year. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's super competitive. competitive, especially the NFC West has been crazy. Um, but the North in particular got very interesting recently. Obviously, Green Bay, still the favorite, even after that loss to the Vikings, who yeah. are going to try, I guess, now and make a push for that top of the division. We got I a lot of, we got a lot of football left. We got almost half the season left. So mm-hmm. it's not out of reach um, like it is for the Lions, who are sitting at the bottom of that NFC North. But even a team like Chicago, three-game losing streak yeah. after this loss to the Titans in the last week. They were a team that, after they kind of figured out their quarterback struggle in that room with Trubisky and Nick Foles, um, we kind of thought they were going to figure it out and kind of get going here because they had some really good pieces on both sides of the ball and special teams-wise. But they are in a spot right now where if the Vikings keep playing the way they are and the Bears keep playing the way they are, which... In the NFL right now, I don't think that's anything that you can count on. You just cannot predict what teams really are going anything. to do. I think the Bears are really potentially in a spot where they're going to drop by the Lions. They're going to be in the third or fourth spot of the division. I, d- I do see, um, you know, the Vikings passing them, especially with the way that they've been playing. Yeah, um, and that's gonna, I mean that's going to be if it does happen in the next like maybe four or five weeks. That's going to be a longer just because of where they're yeah. at right now. Yeah, exactly. Um, they have depending on when they play the Bears too. That's, I'm not sure. I'm not sure on the schedule when they have them. Um, but speaking of teams, I mean, talk about. You don't know what's going to happen, right? We're going to talk about Drew Brees and the Saints dominating Tom Brady and the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I love. I think when the line opened up for that, Tampa Bay was favored by I want to say at least three points or like three to six points. I do remember that them being favored. Yeah, I remember when the line opened up. I think it was. um, Well, they had something right. Three points. The three points was right, right? Because they scored three points on the night. The problem was New Orleans scored thirty-eight. Yeah. That was a game that I don't think anybody saw coming. Tom Brady, the second time this year that he's really not shown out against New Orleans. And that was big time for him because they needed him to show up more than ever. He throws three interceptions, but Drew Brees had the night of his life. He throws for four touchdowns. And at the end of the game, you get that picture of him smiling, shaking Tom's hand. And Brady just looks so livid in that picture. And I kind of love it. Oh, yeah. I really love it. Jameis Winston even got it on the fun, too. He was throwing up the W. He was eating the W after the game. Yeah. Did you see that? Over um, his old team. Yeah, exactly. He was, you know, he just do that pregame where he, like, ate the W or some something weird like that. Um, he oh, even dude. got a completion. He got into the game for the Saints, and he got a completion against um, the Buccaneers. But what did you see in that game? That game was – it was fun to watch. Yeah, I mean, it was really fun to watch. Obviously, you know, Tom Brady not really taking care of the ball, three interceptions. No. Not exactly something you want out of your quarterback. Now, I will say one of them was it was kind of like a screen pass, and part of the offensive line's job is to really yeah, exactly. keep the defensive lineman's hand down. And one of them got, uh, I mean, airtime. Yeah, it's it's and tipped. batted it, and then it was tipped yeah. again. Like So one of them, I mean, but an interception is an interception. But either way. I mean, you do three. Yeah, exactly. And the thing is, is that whether it's the quarterback's fault or not, it is an interception that, oh, yeah. that results in the offense getting off the field and the opposing team's offense yeah. getting on the field. And that's really at the base of it. You're changing the possession of the ball, which you don't want to happen no matter what, whether it's a fumble, interception, turnover on downs, you don't want it to happen. So, you know, that was just the turnovers were the cancer for that, um, you know, whole I like statement that. of that cancer. Game. It was cancer for them because then 
you don't develop a rhythm offensively exactly. because you can't stay on the field for a possession. They go three and out for, I, I want to say that at least their first two or three possessions, they went three and out. This is the thing that I want to talk about. This is the one thing that I really want to talk about getting into this podcast. And the question that I have for you is who is the real backup quarterback? I have quotes around it in the script right here. Who is the backup quarterback in New Orleans? Because you have the NFL's passing leader from last year on the bench in Jameis Winston, right, who has shown that not only can he throw the ball very well to his teammates, but he can throw it very well to the other team as well because he led the league in interceptions last year by a very large margin. But you cannot forget about the Swiss Army knife that is Taysom Hill. Yeah. So his stat line from last game, he threw for 48 yards, he ran for 54, and he caught a pass for 21 yards. He's been known to play special teams for them as well. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if they threw him at linebacker next week just because the dude is an absolute athlete. Yeah. Um, he's as athletic as they come, and we've already heard Sean Payton come out and talk about how he said, quote, I think Taysom sees himself as a starting quarterback in this league, and we do too. What does that mean for New Orleans? It's so weird. Uh, I think, honestly, at the moment, they're just going to keep their options open. Um, yeah. Me, personally, I think Taysom's the, the way to go. Yeah. I mean, um, you know, credit to Jameis. He is a great quarterback. Um, you know, he did have, you know, given the fact that he threw what, however many interceptions, he can play quarterback in this league. He's Given that he threw 30 interceptions, he also threw, like, 30-plus touchdowns. He did. He did. So he he did put up some numbers in, you know, the offensive side of the stat line. Um, yeah. But he – I think the the way to go is just with Taysom. He's a very um, charismatic guy. I think that the team um, would kind of mold with him a little bit better. Yeah, he's been there. He's, he's been there. Yeah, not only that, but he's played probably alongside the majority yeah. of them at different spots. That and he, he, yeah, exactly. He relates to a lot of their players. And how many quarterbacks there, especially the NFL level where everybody is so specialized. All these guys have been playing quarterback since probably middle school or like high school at least, right? You don't just, you'll have guys, maybe sometimes they'll go from high school to college and switch from a defensive end, lose some weight, go to linebacker or come out of college and maybe transition. With quarterbacks, it just does not happen because it's that much of a skill position. But at the basis of, um, you know, what I think, I just think that Taysom has shown this team that he is willing to give whatever he has to. I agree. In order to win. He's been willing to play, been put in any position, and he's just willing to play his heart out in order to win games. And I think that's very telling in a quarterback. And I think, you know, for a team to be willing to, um, you know, be like, this is our guy. Yeah. I think Taysom has kind of already shown this. They've endorsed him too. Like I was talking about, Sean Payton has already endorsed him and like said that he yeah. sees him as a potential franchise starting quarterback. And I I think I do too. He just has the heart and the guts of the intangibles of what you really want in That's a quarterback. True. Um, That's very true. You know, I think with the system that he's been in, um, he's been with Drew Brees. So he knows Duh. he's going to know how to throw the ball. After Who is in the last year of his deal, I believe. Drew Brees yeah. is going to be done after this year. It was going to be last year, mm-hmm. but after that dramatic ending to the Saints season last year, he said, nah, screw it, I'm coming back. We're going to we're gonna make another run at this thing. And they're in a yeah, position exactly. to do so right exactly. now. Exactly, yeah. And uh, I do think that Taysom is just the way to go. He's shown his talent. He's shown to the team that he's willing to put his, you know, his – body on the line for the games, um, you know, runs really hard, does whatever he has to just, you know, to win. And that's that gamer mentality that you want out of your quarterback. Oh, yeah. 
And I'm not saying that Jameis doesn't have that, but it has just been shown day in and day out that that's just Taysom's mindset. Yeah, I agree. And I think I agree 100%, especially with the on-field thing that happened. But the off-the-field activities and events that happen in the next couple months here are going to be what decides, you know, unfortunately, if he's, you know, there or not. It's not going to be his performance on the field, right? Last year, they put... The Saints put, I believe it was a first-round tender on him. So if somebody wanted to come after him, they were going to have to give up a first-round draft pick I think um, he's or something that, equivalent. So. And so do I, but a lot of teams don't see that because he doesn't have the snaps, he doesn't have the film. You yeah. know, They're not going to go pick up a guy if they don't know what position he's going to go play. Yeah. So he's kind of an oddball and a wild card in that sense. But after this year, he's an unrestricted free agent. He could be if he wanted to be. He could be an unrestricted free agent and be gone and off to another program or franchise. But it'll be interesting to see what happens because... After Breeze is gone, there's going to be that gaping hole, and he's supposedly retiring after this season, like I just said. Yeah. But this quarterback quarterback dynamic, excuse me, is so much different from that of a Chicago, right? Yeah. Where you've had two guys who have been established in programs, even though Trubisky has been notoriously bad, he is established in that yeah. program. And then an outsider like Foles coming in, I guess in that way, him and Jameis are somewhat similar. Um, coming into that program, but yeah. it's not like you had Hill who was already there and already was the guy, mm-hmm. right? So it's a different dynamic, I think, I, especially with Breeze still being the head. I think a lot of it has kind of been shoved under the Just rug, the and people really haven't worried about it yet. Yeah. But next season, I can't really, I really can't wait to see how that plays out. Yeah, exactly. That's gonna be super interesting. Let's get on to some power rankings, right? So top ten here. I'm gonna go run through the top ten here real quick. We got Chiefs. Steelers, Saints, Ravens, and Packers. Top five. Packers still in the top five. Yeah. I think that's good for them. I think they deserve that. Even I, think, after that I think they still do. Even after that loss to Minnesota, I think they still deserve that because of the caliber of football they've been playing. Yeah. Um, but rounding out the top ten, we've got Bills, Bucks, Seahawks, Titans, and Raiders. Raiders are on the top ten. Yeah. I mean, that's it's... been a quiet that's been a quiet, um, great start to the season for them. Especially yeah, exactly. after that uh win against the Chiefs. That put them on the map. For sure. For sure. That's just the momentum boost that they really needed. Very true. And Derek Carr, who um, he said in the beginning of the season, he was like, I'm tired of losing. That's yeah. what he said. I was like, I'm sure it's not the first time he said that being, you know, in Oakland and now at, yeah. uh, you know, Los Angeles. But I'm Las tired Vegas. of losing. Las Vegas. Sorry, Las <laughs> Vegas. There's so many. Loss. There's so many lost teams in the NFL now. Yeah, because you got Los Angeles as the Chargers. Yeah, okay. It's Vegas. Okay. Yeah, and the Rams. And the Rams. There's a lot Man, of loss. There is a lot of loss. A lot of loss. <laughs> but Derek Carr has been leading that team, um, obviously with Gruden back, who has been out of suspiciously out of headlines for a while. We usually get a lot of Gruden in uh, NFL talk, and I have not heard a lot about Gruden. So maybe mm-hmm. the mindset over there in Oakland, or I almost said Oakland. I almost said it. Las, Las Vegas. Maybe the mindset over there in, in Las Vegas has changed a bit. You know, keep our heads down, do our work, and just grind this thing out. But the Chiefs, uh, back at that number one spot, Obviously, because of the Steelers. Let's see. Um, anything else that really sticks out here? Um, what do you I, mean? I don't really think so. Just like team-wise, where they're sitting? Uh, not really. I, I do think that, um, obviously, for the top two, um, that's pretty much set in stone. I could see either of them going either way. Um, but Saints, Ravens, Packers... Um, I do think all of them deserve to be in the top five. I think you could interchange any of those three yeah. in any of those positions. I think that's pretty fair, too. And I think the Steelers deserve to drop out of that number one spot after that showing against the Cowboys. Yeah, where, uh, exactly. Garrett Gilbert almost upset them, the practice squad quarterback from the Browns. Yeah. So 
that was I mean that was a game that it was actually super entertaining. It was super entertaining to watch. Yeah. Um he put up over 240 yards and a touchdown against the best defense in the league. That was I I loved watching that. Garrett Gilbert, man. Yeah. I I mean I I swear I assume 95% of our country had never heard of him before that and now he's on primetime television against the best team in the country or best defense in the country yeah, yeah. I'll say or number 2 team in the league right now. Um but the Steelers right now, it looks like they actually could go in the opposite direction with Big Ben on COVID reserve. He did not test positive, but he was in close contact, close proximity yeah. to someone who did test positive. And that could be huge for the Steelers because we saw what happened last year. They were still a solid team. They went 8-8 eight and eight last year and almost they just missed out on the playoff berth mm-hmm. with, you know, bouncing between quarterbacks. You got uh, Duck Hodges going in there. Uh, but without Big Ben... I don't know if that Steelers team, I, I, I do know, they're not the same caliber of team without him, even though he hasn't been putting up these insane numbers or anything. Mm-hmm. Um, but another game I, I watched, and I was actually, it was a great game, was Josh Allen and the Bills against the Seahawks. Yeah. Put up 44 points in that win at home with 415 yards passing, three touchdowns, and the Bills didn't even have a rusher with over 20 yards in that game. So mm-hmm. Josh Allen really put the team on his shoulder. I don't understand. We've seen... We talked about a lot of games. Clemson was one, too, where they didn't have a rusher. So we just throw the ball. We just yeah, kept exactly. throwing the ball. And these stat lines that we're getting out of quarterbacks are unreal. Yeah. They're throwing for over 400 yards in any contest with multiple touchdowns is something that, I mean, how do you even get to that Can't point? Can't go unseen, yeah. Right? How do you even get to that point? And if it comes to a point where if you're a defensive coordinator or even a defensive player, for yeah. that matter, at some point, you know what they are going to do. Just <laughs> try and stop it. Yeah. Like, seriously. These, these offenses are so one-dimensional, but I guess it, that's just the the way the game is shifting, yeah. right? It's just shifting to that air raid-style offense, mm-hmm. and people have been saying that for years, and it hasn't really been happening, but now it's to the point where if you do not have a prominent run game, throw the ball. Yeah. Just literally throw the ball, and then don't worry about it. Like, there's no even there's really no even need. So as we do that, and as we keep moving towards that brand and that style of football, I think a, cu- a couple of things are going to change. Obviously, the defensive back position and the defensive end position, I think, are going to get a lot of pay bumps, right? Yeah. Because th- we've already seen that. both of them, I, I want to say the pay rate is like, uh, it's, it goes quarterback, pass rusher, and then I'm pretty sure corner is number So we've, um, we're starting three. to see that already then. Yeah, exactly. So uh, that makes a lot of sense to me because especially pass rusher, it, we've already seen, they've been getting they've been getting broken a off with of some great that. deals. Um, but I think that's only going to go up. Because of the way the game is trending, you're going to see a lot of guys coming off the edge that are getting some absolutely insane contracts. But yeah. back to the Bills, they're leading the AFC East right now. Miami right now has also one of the best defenses in the league, very quietly. They're letting up some of the least amount of rush and passing yards in the league right now, which from a Miami team, I would have no reason to suspect that. But they've been playing out of their minds. I think that's really important for them in a division that the Patriots have so notoriously dominated. Yeah, the top exactly. two teams are now the Bills in Miami, like, I, I would have never seen that coming. We'll see how the second half of this NFL season treats them because they have each other. They're playing each other in the last week of the regular season. I think right now, just looking ahead, I think that's going to be a huge game because yeah. I think the Bills have been up and down. Miami's been up and down. Obviously, now with rookie quarterback, talking about Loa at the helm of that franchise, I think that is going to be a determining factor in the playoff picture, if not for one of them. Then for somebody else in the division or somebody else in the AFC, depending on what the wild card situation looks like. Yeah. And we haven't even talked about, they're talking about doing a 16-team playoff and expanding that playoff if teams don't get the full um, amount of games in for this NFL season. Mm-hmm. So the NFL ownership is talking about that as we speak. And there are a bunch of different things 
that are kind of being put in place, very precautionary ideas that are being put in place right now. But we'll see how this second half of the NFL season plays out. This has been Division One Rejects on WUPX 91.5 FM, HD1 Marquette. Find us on YouTube, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts. If you got somewhere where you're going to listen to it, you can find us. Thank you all very much for listening and have a great weekend.